Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Bitstamp and the Galaxy Brains Podcast. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. Our first story of the day. Caroline Ellison taps SEC's former top crypto regulator as lawyer in the FTX investigation. I don't think this is a coincidence, and I think these people know exactly what they're doing. So apparently the ex-Alameda CEO, Carolyn Ellison, has reportedly hired a former enforcement director to represent her in the FTX investigation. Amavakian is, the cur- is currently the chair of the Securities and Financial Services Department at law firm Wilmer Hale. And she shared her role with director Stephen Perkin, who is now representing FTX in its bankruptcy pro hearings. I actually want to give this over to probably Will. I want to get a very problematic take, and I want us all to argue about this. <laughs> you want a what problematic take about this? I mean, yes. I don't know if this is like, this is pretty straightforward, <laughs> right? Like she's, she's in dire straits. Sam's been dumping on her on every single Twitter spaces we can find, every single little PR uh, magnet he can pull. He's been dumping on Alameda and distancing himself from Caroline Ellison, who was his former girlfriend, according to Coindesk reporting. And that's a pretty tangled love affair at the very least. And for her to go and hire a lawyer who has expertise on this makes sense. This is the next thing that everyone in the crypto reporting circles was looking for, for her to lawyer up. Uh, We know that Sam bakeman free has also been lawyering up, right? He's hired at least two sets of lawyers. I think the first set decided to distance themselves from the case. Uh, And then we also know about his parents who have also been lawyering up. So there's just going to be more of this going into the new year. I think this case is going to take quite a while to figure out. Uh, And then on top of this, we have the part about where is Caroline Ellison? People have been looking for her. There's been some tweets that she maybe moved to Dubai, maybe moved to a, a country that has a non-extradition treaty, just like we saw Do Kwon and others move to. Maybe that's part of this case as well. But we also might know that she might be in the United States. For this point, we don't really know if that matters as well, because the DOJ and others have not really said anything about them being a flight risk or them actually putting out a warrant for arrest at this point. The only reason that really mattered for Do Kwon and others is because there was a warrant for arrest for those individuals. We don't have that right now for these individuals, but at the very least, they are luring up. 
and they are concerned somewhat about jail time. Zach, I'll boot it up to you for your take. Yeah, where in the world is Caroline is like a good subplot in like, you know, shady crypto figures. And I think I, I would be remiss if I did not mention a series of tweets from earlier this month in which Caroline allegedly was photographed at some New York City coffee shop. And the speculation was therefore that she was there, you know, to turn state's witness against SPF, <laughs> other Sam, Sam Tribuco, also co-CEO of Alameda at one point, and to help sort of uh, find her way out of this mess. Because you're right, Will. I think the rhetoric around SBF being like, I don't know nothing. It was all Alameda, blah, 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 blah. I'm responsible. But by the way, it was definitely them. Seems to have ratcheted up in this uh, continuing media circus that SBF cannot pull himself away from. He was on a number of Twitter spaces, even today, sort of, again, looking to tell more and more of his story, this time apparently to a group of quite skeptical people who are gathered in one Twitter spaces, at least this morning. So yeah, man, this thing is going to drag on forever. And we're still in the early innings of highly entertaining intrigue. And certainly the Caroline angle captivated a lot of interest, probably for dubious reasons, most, mostly related to the alleged relationship between the two. But her role in this whole thing as a co-CEO, the hedge fund itself, is going to be highly revealing should she ever end up speaking, especially under oath. So yeah, it's going to be weird to see how this one plays out. And if it ends up being he said, she said, fingers being pointed every which direction. That still is very likely and could ultimately come to pass. But I'm going to toss it down to Jen, see if she has any takes on this one. I like Will's description of the tangled love affair that just keeps getting more and more dramatic. So I, <laughs> I think that if it is true that Caroline is reportedly working with regulators to turn state's witness, it makes complete sense that she would bring this lawyer on board, this lawyer who knows the inner workings of the SEC. She knows how to work with regulators. She's been working for government for a really, really long time. I would think that is someone who could potentially negotiate a good deal for you to turn state's witness. When I was reading the story, I thought about the story we spoke about, I think it was a few months ago now, about lawmakers talking about the revolving door between Washington and the crypto industry. I think it was AOC and Warren who came out and said, you know, like, what are we doing to address this? Should we address any potential conflicts? Wouldn't be surprised if we see these same people come out and say, if you've previously worked for government in the same year, I believe that the article said that this lawyer was working for the SEC this year, earlier this year, should you be representing people that the government are going up against? I don't know. I, I, I know that if you work at a law firm, you don't represent both sides of the story. And, and I can imagine lawmakers coming out and questioning this sort of thing, although it is totally kosher as it stands. Zach, I saw your hand go up. Yeah, I mean, the tangled web, you know, let's forget like the polycule and all that spicy, you know, New York Post garbage for a second. And just, you know, the tangled <laughs> web here on the legal side is actually really interesting too, right? You know, this lawyer, she was the co-director of the enforcement division with the lawyer who is now representing FTX, right? So these are people who were at the SEC working together, who now may be working on both sides of the private side of this whole fracas. And these people are no slouches, right? These people were involved when they were working for the government at the SEC with the Ripple Lab suit, with other suits in the crypto space. So they potentially know it well, and it would make sense for someone in this position to seek out the best possible expert here. But it does sort of, again, I think to Jen's point, speak to that tangled web of people who were former 
regulators now using that subject matter expertise in the private sector. And it creates this strange dynamic where it's kind of like, whoa, wait, like which side of the fence are these people on now? And it's kind of just very confusing in terms of past roles, new roles, and how these are all going to kind of like potentially intermesh in a really uh, crazy way. Times are tough, particularly for crypto, but Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why Crypto Compare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. Tuesday's top story. They're probably thinking, darn, I shouldn't have gotten involved with this creepy dough currency. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but the next, the next story. I just over have to here, laugh okay. every time. We're, every we're time. paying these people. They get, I don't know how they get paid, but we're paying these people with our taxpayer dollars. Anyways, SBF leaked testimony reveals the truth about him, according to Forbes. So he basically planned to blame everybody but himself, shows the leaked Congress testimony. According to Forbes, SBF planned to say, I effed up while testifying before lawmakers about the collapse. This is according to a leaked draft of his opening remarks. The publication says they were exclusively required. The leaked document obtained by Forbes also shows he planned to discuss the following. Um, He claimed that FTX US was still fully solvent and could pay back all customers in full. I can kind of agree with this to an extent because I know they were licensed and regulated in the US. And when you're licensed and regulated in the US, you got to be up to par. He said the pressure to file Chapter 11 started um, November 8th and mostly came from Ryan Miller, general counsel of FTX US and law firm Sullivan and Cromwell. He said, I wish I had not clicked on a button on DocuSign at 4.30 a.m., leaving some FTX under destructive leadership. And he said he deeply regrets giving into pressure to sign the forms. And he blamed the inclusion on FTX US and Chapter 11 bankruptcy on the new CEO, John Ray. Zach, take it away. Yeah, so this uh, testimony, this leaked testimony, was brought up during the hearing itself with lawmakers saying this testimony is, quote, so disrespectful, citing that F-bomb that was up there near the top. Now, SBF was supposed to be at this hearing sort of showing sort of like a showdown with John J. Ray uh, laying out, I guess, both sides of the story here. But that did not come to pass because he was arrested yesterday in the Bahamas. But this is definitely sort of making its way into the conversation as it relates to this House hearing. Would have been wild to see this one drop in person or at least virtually, but no law enforcement acted before that could happen. So now he is in custody while this hearing unfolds without him. Will, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, I'm disappointed that we didn't get to see that. That would have been very interesting uh, just in terms of like 
the comedic effect. And Zach, I'm going to go back to the point that you were just making that the lawmakers and congresspeople at the hearing were not very enthused by Sam Bakeman Freed's uh, tirade at the beginning of this little uh, testimony, right? Dropping an F word, which we will not do on Coindesk as a family publication, but uh, he seems <laughs> to think it's appropriate to do that in front of Congress when all of his work, his life's work, is on the line. So interesting to see him do that. I don't think a lot of people in Congress have time for his PR campaign to continue. Uh, but this is you know, certainly notable. Uh, we're going to have to see what happens with him in the, in the Bahamas right now as you're going through all the documentation. I'm curious to see, Zach, what you brought up earlier, like what does happen with the Bahamas and regulation there because of SBF. Jen, I'll boot it over to you for your take. I need to see an SBF John J. Ray showdown. It has to happen. I think SBF would just get totally wrecked by John J. Ray after seeing him speak this morning. Um, I think it is disrespectful. And I think reading through a lot of his statement, it's everything he's been saying in the media on this on this PR tour, right? He's he's sorry he effed up. But at the end of the day, it wasn't his fault. There was so much going on that he just, you know, couldn't fathom it. But also there he references these letters of intent that there are all of these investors waiting to give money to save customers at the end of the day. He references them so much um, on social media, in the media interviews he's doing, and now again in this leaked testimony. But we haven't heard anything else. He, like, we haven't heard anyone come forth and say, you know, I'm willing to put these funds up. He hasn't gone into any more detail. I'm so curious about that tidbit in the, in the testimony. And I just, I just feel like he needs some PR help. He needs someone to help him in crafting his message. It feels like no one is in his corner and it's just sad now, Wendy. He's honestly communicating to public servants that could get him in a lot of trouble the same way he would on crypto Twitter. Like that is a regular crypto Twitter response. Like I yeah. effed up. I mean, you have to switch kind of personality types when you're going into different situations. And I'm sure that he has Pierre. I don't know. Maybe he's going to play the insanity card. Who knows? But it is all looking like a circus. And again, I'm tinfoil crown on here. I kind of feel like regardless if the FTX ended up thriving or failing, this was all orchestrated to push through negative crypto regulation in the United States and on a global scale with the CBDC. That's obviously not confirmed. That is just a thought that my tinfoil crown has. There was someone in Congress this morning who said, you know, who referenced this ignorance that Sam has been citing and then cited all of the education, all of the very smart moves he made up until this point and said, you know, I don't think that ignorance is to blame here. But Will, I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, I want to bring up two things before we move on from this subject. And that is the discrepancy between FTX US and the testimonies we've seen from Sam Bankman fried and John J. Ray III. John J. Ray is saying that, yes, FTX US was actually having problems with solvency and that there was no difference between FTX and FTX US. And then Sam Bankman-Free is saying that it's not the case, that there was a difference between the two entities and that FTX US actually could have made all customers whole. In fact, saying that he wishes he had not signed that DocuSign mm -hmm. at 4.30 a.m. and that he was pressured into doing so. So that's a huge discrepancy. And we're going to have to wait to see what happens with that, right? Because it would be actually a great situation and a great outcome for FTX US users if they're able to get their funds off. But I have a hard time believing anything SBF is saying at this point. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up there. Really quick, I did read that their funds were commingled between FTX US and FTX International. So maybe that's not why they're able to kind of release those funds and they had to file Chapter 11 bankruptcy 
for all, I believe, 134 entities under FTX. Zach? Last thought here, just absolutely stunning how quickly this has all unfolded. John J. Ray mentioned that November 2nd, that story that was published by Coindesk was the first time this started to come to light. And here we are, less than a month and a half later, SBF in custody, house hearing, FTX and Alameda in shambles. Truly spectacular fall from grace from a man who was in some of these same quarters speaking on behalf of the crypto industry not too many months ago. Crazy times. Wednesday's top story. Now it's day two of FTX collapse conversation on Capitol Hill. This time, Senate Banking Committee is holding a hearing. You're looking at a live shot of that conversation right now. Now, yesterday we saw the House do something similar. We're hearing more from key U.S. lawmakers. And starting us off on that story of the day is Wendy O. Wendy. (sighs) Happy Wednesday, everybody. So the panel hearing is today is the second week by Congress to analyze the FTX collapse. They're examining how the failures of FTX could impact the entire industry, but you all know what that means. Here's what Senator Sherrod Brown, Senate Banking Committee Chairman, had to say. Take a listen. The myth of Sam Bankman-Fried and his crypto trading success was supposed to impress us. We're still learning how he shuffled money between FTX and his trading firm, Alameda Research, a name calculated to sound as generic as possible to avoid raising eyebrows while sending money across the world. FTX and Alameda Research took advantage of the crypto industry's appetite for speculation. They were able to borrow and lend from other platforms and invest in other crypto firms, inflating the crypto ecosystem and growing their own profits. Okay, so guys, one of the things I want to say is if you take a look at everybody that's at the hearing, you'll notice their age. And I think that we can all agree. We need to get people that are younger to represent us and talk about this type of stuff. But anyways, Brown also said that lawmakers can look at existing banking and securities laws for time-tested approaches as a way of overseeing the crypto industry. However, where were the regulators when all of this stuff was going down? That's a question that I have. He said, if we want to learn from FTX's meltdown, we must look closely at the risks from conflicts at crypto platforms that combine multiple functions. And of course, something from Kevin O'Leary. He claimed that Binance and FTX were at war with each other for some time, which Kind of looks like it was true from some of the tweets, but at the same time, um, he did say that CZ, he believes CZ was attempting to put FTX out of business. I don't think that was the ultimate cause of FTX's demise. I just think it accelerated it. Binance is a massive unregulated global monopoly, Leary said. FTX is a use case for the need of regulation. The lack of regulation is what caused the collapse. And then on a side note, Kevin O'Leary was a paid spokesperson of FTX. Personally, I don't care if somebody was a paid spokesperson of anything. It's just becoming very ridiculous, some of the comments that he's making, because our entire industry is at stake. I want to give this over to Will, though, for a take. Yeah, I'll grab for a second. I watched 15 minutes of this dribble, and that's what it was. I didn't see anything that was (laughs) informative or interesting. I saw a lot of grandstanding. I saw people talking about issues that had nothing to do with FTX. And why? Because they're not interested in FTX. They're interested in getting their names associated with cryptocurrency and taking down Sam Bankman-Fried and his giant empire. They just want this for votes. And I think that's become very clear during this whole discussion. If you tune in for even a minute, you're not going to hear very informative takes. You're going to see better stuff on Twitter.com. The things I saw trying to take down Bitcoin mining to trying to just discuss how uh, crypto has moved across shores and how that's not safe to applying different securities laws from the 1930s to modern technology. A lot of things that just don't make sense, Wendy. And 
I think we need some better lawmakers on this discussion every time. And if you go back over the years, this has been the case, right? We actually have this every four years with crypto's cycles. We actually have the same conversation. I, I was there in 2018, 2019 on Capitol Hill, listening to a very similar conversation from very similar Congress people talking about how we needed more regulation on top of crypto. And maybe what happened with FTX brings us across the finish line to getting some clarity from the SEC on what crypto tokens are. But in my opinion, and just like Kevin O'Leary said this morning, I think we're going to be here again in four years with the same conversation. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Well, Wendy, there was one young person there, and that was actor Benjamin McKenzie, who you may recognize from the OC. So I just had to point out that there was one young person <laughs> speaking this morning. Um, so I was listening. I also was just really kind of frustrated with what I was hearing. And then when Senator Lummis spoke, I was like, thank goodness, maybe she's going to speak some sense in, into this hearing. She said, this is not a trial on digital assets. This is a failure of people, safeguards and regulation, not technology. And that was the biggest takeaway from this for me. I'm so happy that she was able to say it. But unfortunately, directly after she said this, Warren brought up money laundering, criminal activity, North Korea, Iran, and the conversation just steered completely away from FTX again. So, Will, I agree with you. I think that this is an opportunity to put digital assets on a trial when we really should be talking about the corporate failures of FTX. Zach, what did you think? I'm over it. Season finale was last <laughs> night with the SPF perp walk going from a courthouse in the Bahamas into a car looking dazed, wearing a suit and a shirt with no tie being hauled off to one of the worst prisons in the world. Movie ended. This is all just B-roll. <laughs> this stuff that the Senate is talking about, don't care. We saw the same thing yesterday. At least they got John J. Ray III to show up and situate the conversations of facts. They're just bringing in whoever the hell they want to have some conversations that don't seem to be especially rooted in the present moment as it relates to what happened with FTX. I got nothing more to say. I got nothing more to say. I'm giving it to Wendy. <laughs> I got to say that this is going to make a really great novella. Those are my favorite to watch always all the time. And and do you guys think that Sam, well, tinfoil crown on, do you guys think that Sam will actually be in that prison or is this all for show? Food for thought. I don't I think know. My boy Sam's in that prison. I don't know about pretty, these conspiracies. Pretty clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Wendy. <laughs> all right. Let's let's move on. Thursday's top story. Adam is going to take us to New York for a bit of news on crypto regulation. Adam, take it away. Indeed. Thank you, Zach. So yeah, so our first story today comes from the state of New York, where the Department of Financial Services has laid down some new restrictions and rules on what banks need to do before they can interact with cryptocurrency. According to the guidance, banks registered in the state will need to seek regulatory permission from the department 90 days before they get involved with the new asset class, even if it's through a third party. The banks will need to submit business plans and operating models, as well as who they think their customer is and how they intend to approach them. This applies to all services, including crypto transmission, custody, buying and selling, again, even through a third party. This isn't the first time that we've seen really pretty strict rules like this come out of the state of New York. I would say that this is actually kind of what the state of New York has become known for. Uh, in the crypto industry over the last you know, dozen years. Uh, but it is kind of, I think these are the most strict requirements that we've seen so far. Zach, I'll kick it back to you. You've, you know, you've paid a lot of attention to kind of stories like these uh, during your time at Coindesk. What's your kind of read on this as it fits into the history of things? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, New York with the Bit license has always been pretty aggressive in seeking to regulate crypto firms, um, sometimes to much consternation among the crypto community. There's a lot of people from the olden days who say that New York really drove out a lot of its uh, crypto firms without good cause. So the fact that they're sort of uh, ramping up this, I think, makes sense, is in keeping with past steps from this particular state regulator. And I think it also comes as banks are looking to figure out how to serve this asset class to their customers, right? We saw a lot of news out of NYDIG working with smaller banks to position uh, crypto, basically savings accounts within both local banks and credit unions across the country. Certain banks have experimented with that. I think that was certainly a function of when interest in Bitcoin was significantly higher than it is right now. So we're not hearing a ton on that front. But it would make sense that in response to some of those news stories that have come out, the regulator is seeking a pretty rigorous set of rules by which these banks need to follow. So yeah, in keeping, I think, with what New York is trying to do as it relates to crypto policy. I'll toss it down to Will for his thoughts. Yeah, New York has actually been pretty aggressive on these things in its history. The most recent one is the government moratorium on Bitcoin mining for the last two years or going to the next two years where people are not going to be able to plug into the grid there unless they get special permission or using renewable energy. And a lot of miners are now moving out of the state. And like you said, Zach, it goes back to that 2015 law, the BIT license. But I do think that this is like a wider thing that we're seeing in the context of what happened with FTX. And just last week, Canada also banned a lot of forms of margin trading for all cryptocurrency users in that country. So I think we're going to see a lot of knee-jerk reactions coming out of what happened with FTX from lawmakers. If they have the ability to do it, just as regulators without being elected and it's within their power, their jurisdiction, I think they're going to do that just because of like the picture, right? If you're a regulator and you're not taking aggressive actions in order to uh, like make a scene at the very least or make a headline in the wake of FTX, then I think you're probably not doing your job, or at least in the eyes of your constituents. This is a bummer for a lot of people who are involved with the space, though. It's certainly a bummer. Zach, kick it back to you. Yeah, I think it's a really good point because, you know, the crypto picture is painted in broad brushstrokes. And we see FTX becoming emblematic for a bunch of crypto things that does, the, like, the disaster does not speak to many of the crypto things that are being hauled in in this massive net from regulators, both at the state and federal level. We were talking this week about a bill put forth by Senator Elizabeth Warren, which is guilty of some of those things, according to Coin Center, which is probably the leading advocacy organization for crypto in Washington, D.C. So we're seeing a lot of this stuff come out where it's sort of not a perfect fit. And even in some of the conversations around uh, how to regulate this industry don't really situate themselves in the facts of what happened with FTX, which is sort of a fraudulent middleman was involved here, right? And uh, as opposed to trying to regulate fraudulent middlemen out of the system, they're seeking to regulate some of the underlying technologies that may indeed ultimately solve some of the problems that these FTX-like situations are really all about. So I think just that broad brushstrokes understanding of what crypto is in sort of the general consciousness like continues to rear its ugly head in ways, especially in the regulatory side of things. Jenna, sorry, hand tossing at you. Yeah, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. You know, in the Senate hearing yesterday, they brought up banks. They said, you know, this isn't only a centralized exchange thing. This isn't only a crypto thing. A lot of the big banks in the States are getting into crypto. And how are we going to look at that? And I think Will is exactly right. Now, in the light of FTX, in the light of us having all of this emotional reaction to so many people losing so much money, these regulations that have been in the pipeline for a long time, regulators who have been trying to push this narrative for a long time, they finally have that, that reason, that narrative, and that story to push it through. So I don't think that this is the first time we're going to see this. Adam, I think I saw your hand go up. 
Yeah, just a quick thought at kind of the end of all this. You know, I mean, when we're talking about kind of these types of permission regimes, permission is the important kind of part to focus on here, right? Banks are heavily regulated. They have all kinds of requirements that are already placed on them. There is an argument that can be made, especially in the wake of FTX, that we need to be very careful and take, you know, careful controls over these types of things. But at the same time, when I see something like this, what I'm thinking about is if you have to submit a plan 90 days in advance for approval, that means that they can say no to you. Even if your plan is something that probably isn't a problem, it kind of puts a step in there where they can just be like, no, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do that. And I think that, again, that can be used for good. It can be used you know, to help people avoid real risks. It can also be used as a way to kind of keep uh, entrenched powers in power. And we've seen that over and over again coming out of New York, where notoriously, despite having kind of the, um, you know, being very early to the table uh, with the bit license as one of the kind of regulatory regimes, very few companies over the life cycle of that instrument have actually uh, been able to achieve one. And it's typically been the very largest companies who are out there too. So it's, you know, it's good on the one side, it's bad on the other side, it's New York. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.